Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence, our hearts filled with great expectations. May the meditations of our minds and our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. After several months of gnashing of teeth and tears, after long conversations with Kelly and with God, I applied for seminary. (laughs) The decision to change the trajectory of our life together was not an easy one. To take a path that looked different than what we had originally planned was not going to be an easy one. But once I made that decision, there was this determination that was couched in kind of a confident acceptance and assurance. During my SPRC introduction meeting, when I asked if they would support me as a candidate for ministry, one of those sitting around the table, one who I had worshipped with for many years, said, aren't you the least bit afraid? To which I said, of course I am. I fully expected that the next four years would challenge me in ways that I could not even imagine. They would challenge my understanding of who this Jesus is and my faith in him. Because I believed that and still do that the important works of a theological education is that we learn who we are in light of who Jesus really is. And I was not disappointed. Semester after semester, as things unfolded, everything that I assumed about Jesus was scrutinized, it was questioned, it was challenged, it was criticized, and it was analyzed. After one especially grueling semester, my fourth semester there, I believed that perhaps the journey was going to end right there for me. I thought that perhaps God was saying, nice try, Cassie but I need you to do something else. But I plunged on. And at the end of that journey, I landed not really so far from where I began that journey in understanding who Jesus was and who Jesus was as I had come to love him. What had changed, though, was my certainty about who he is, about what he did, and why that matters. And the consequences was a deeper love for Jesus in my life. After an especially refreshing look at the nativity uh, through Mary's after-the-fact perspective this last uh, December in our Advent study, it was me who wanted to explore Jesus with you even deeper. Simply, Jesus. I am basing this January worship series on loosely on a book that is written by N.T. Wright by the same title, but mostly I wanted to take this January to reflect on this Jesus that I've come to love with you. And my hope is that you also will come to love him even more deeply. We left Mary uh, in Bethlehem after she had journeyed a very long time For the census, it must have been a decade, right? For a census by the Roman authorities. 
It was there that she gave birth to Jesus, and that story is told in the Gospel according to Luke. Today we're going to learn about an odd group that traveled from far away just to meet this Jesus, and that story is told by Matthew. I'm going to be reading that story from the second chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. Listen now for God's holy word. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east, from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is this child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star in its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. Now when they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star, that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and they paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. May God add blessing to this reading of Holy Scripture. The evangelist has put us squarely in Bethlehem for this this, uh, amazing visit. Matthew describes these guests as magi. Sometimes they're translated as uh, wise men who study the constellations, who are astronomers, and, and try their hand at magic. It is the Christian tradition that gives the, calls them kings, and it is the Christian tradition that gives them names and numbers them. But as in Luke, Matthew sets Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, fulfilling Hebrew scriptures of an expected Messiah from the lineage of King David. Now, King David was a beloved king of Israel who ruled nearly 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. Jews in the first century held out hope that a Messiah would return and help them break from their Roman oppression and return Israel back to her glory days. But these foreign travelers were in search of a king who would deliver all nations, not just Israel. What impressed me most about them was their devotion. Who was this king to them? 
What difference did it make if this king was born in their lives or not? What would make them leave their countries and travel long distance in search of this king to bring gifts and to worship him? Evidently, their journey took some time because they didn't find Jesus in a manger, but found him living in a house. And as they traveled to Jerusalem, they did so not expecting to find a Messiah, but because there was wisdom in the constellations, the world that God had created. When they got to Jerusalem, Matthew introduces a second set of wise men to us. These are the chief priests and scribes who know the Hebrew scriptures well. And they give advice to Herod who asks them for it. It's interesting to me that with all the wisdom of the heavens, the seekers, the foreign seekers called the wise men, still need the wisdom of the scriptures in order to find Jesus. So here's what challenges me. Why didn't the Jewish religious authorities and experts go with the Magi? Weren't they looking for the Messiah? Weren't weren't they hoping that this Messiah would be born to deliver them? Or were they simply too comfortable in the security of their temple, hiding behind their precious scrolls and their traditions to break out from behind the walls in order to seek the wisdom that comes from other sources? And that begs me to ask then, am I also too comfortable inside the walls of the church, hiding behind my own perspective, my own scriptures and my own traditions to seek beyond the world, beyond the walls of the church to find how God continues to break into this world in new and exciting ways through the kingdom of God. This Jesus is kind of a king of odd sorts. So it was natural for the Magi to inquire of the current king, Herod, where the birth of the new king might be. But Jesus was not a king like Herod. He never claimed a throne or a position of political power He never uh, acquired riches or traveled in pomp and circumstance, except on the back of a colt as he entered into Jerusalem as a protest to the nobility of the day. Matthew holds a sharp contrast between these two kings. On the one hand, Herod rules by tyranny and by killing. On the other hand, Jesus triumphs and rules God's kingdom by dying. You see, friends, Jesus breaks into this world in unconventional ways to draw attention to the world's wisdom and to make a statement of what a real king is. What the people of the first century were expecting and were looking for, they did not find. N.T. Wright says this about what they were looking for. He says they were looking for a builder who could construct a home that they thought they wanted. But what they got was an architect 
who could design a world that they needed. Jesus redefines kingship for us in, through his own work, through his own mission, and through his own fate. I sometimes think that I want Jesus to be the king that reflects my worldview. I want to put Jesus right there where I can embrace him as he embraces the policies and the polity of the denominational church that I love. But if I'm really honest, I often feel safer inside the church than I do on that road to Bethlehem with the outsiders, with people who bring a different perspective and a different understanding than I do to this person called Jesus. But if those of us in the church don't get Jesus right, if we don't understand what his kingship means, who he is, and what difference it makes, if we don't bother to seek him, to worship him, and to call attention to his very different kind of kingship, then how can we expect others to bother to understand this king of a very different sort? Isn't it time for us to share Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be? As we gather around this table today, I am reminded of how Jesus used the table to architect a place where people would receive what they need, not what they want. He broke customs to eat with those who truly sought him even when those closest to him failed to see him as the king that he was, he still offered them the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation and the cup of life. Lovingly, unconditionally. So today we come to this very table. We come acknowledging that we come with all our shortcomings. And we receive the gift of grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.